Good evening, grave robbers, and welcome back to the television graveyard. We are your TV necromancers, Lara Prince and Noah Houlihan. We have come here tonight to examine the spirits of past television shows, to find out which ones could be resurrected, should be resurrected, and which ones should stay doomed. This is a podcast in which we'll analyze the history, the hype, and the aftermath of shows that ran only one season or only one episode. With me, as always, is TV's Noel Houlihan. We come from France. Today we are doing the 1983 animated special pilot. It aired as a special, but was intended as a pilot. Uh, Coneheads. Yes, thank you to our wonderful patrons for voting for Coneheads, the animated series episode. Yes. So, before we jump into this, let's, of course... Onto the dead and pour one out. Noah, what do you got there? I have a French 77. Yeah, we don't have a lot of the ingredients for French 75 in the house. Yes, uh, 1977 is the year that the Coneheads debuted on SNL. And, of course, the Coneheads say that they are from France, but they are not from France. They are from Remulac. And... So I've made a French 75 incorrectly. So I have champagne and I have lemon juice, but we didn't have any gin. So we have uh, some vodka and we didn't have uh, simple syrup. So I just put a little bit of sugar in it. Which is all sitting at the bottom. It's all just sitting at the bottom. It's not bad. It's not the, the type of cocktail I would normally make for this show in that it does not have blue Coruscant in. Let me try it because I actually do like French 75, so I want to see how bad this is. Just just for the record, I considered making an incorrect French connection. Eh. Didn't enjoy it, huh? No. I was considering making an incorrect French connection, which instead of cognac, I was going to use Coruscant. Which seemed more me, but uh, I was I was venturing out of my comfort zone, and now I have a drink that's fine, but not great. What do you got there, Laura? I have the welcome neighbor's coffee ring. Hmm. Uh, you opened a tiny bottle of champagne, and I didn't want to waste it. And I had a cider. Uh, I had good spiced cider in mm-hmm. our fridge. So I made essentially an apple cider mimosa garnished with an apple cider donut to emulate the coffee ring. That makes sense. Alternately, I made something with stuff we had that sounded good. Yeah, that does sound good. It sounds good. Let's see if it actually works. All right, so she's taking a sip now. Yeah, it's the Freaks and Geeks cocktail all over again, where the setup is supposed to be that it's not very good. It's very good. It's very good. (laughs) Mmm. That's quite good. So let's jump into Coneheads, the animated series. What I didn't realize going into this is how much I care about the Coneheads. Okay. (laughs) Because we got into this and I was like, I I actually am a fan of the Coneheads. Oh, no. Uh, My first note here is, looks like Sailor Moon from the U.S. version, LOL. Yes. So we start on Remulock. And we have our, our two protagonists. I forget the name of the Coneheads. Uh, they are Primat and Beldar. Beldar, yes. Beldar and his mate Primac. And Primat. Primat, excuse me. And they are talking to their leader. Yes. 
And the first thing I notice is there are like subtle giggles in the first couple moments. And I was just like, what? What was that? All hail Kuldroth, High Master of Seven Galaxies and Inheritor of the Megmazome Genetic Chain. Hail, High One. Enough. Because it's a laugh track. It turns out this cartoon has a laugh track, but not a confident one. No. Because in the first couple of minutes, you just kind of hear people being like, <laughs> uh, See, what caught me was that in the first two minutes of this cartoon, uh, it implies that Primat and Beldar have just come from having sex. From having the Conehead equivalent of sex. Yes, they, they threw rings on each other's heads. We have not left our chamber in 17 time units. Yes. And then uh, Primat gets kind of mad at him for saying that. Yes. Which caused me to do a little bit of research into where adult animation was at this moment. Okay. Because this is clearly adult animation here. This is not a children's cartoon show, which is what I was expecting. It's really... Uh, Adult animation is not really much of anything. The Flintstones did air in prime time. Yes, and they had a were, laugh track. Yeah, but they were definitely an all-ages show. They didn't have anything this um, heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. Yes. And really, most factions don't consider the history of adult animation to really start until the Tracy Ullman show. And The Simpsons. Yes. That makes sense. Uh, I was giving the Tracy Ullman show its due because The Simpsons debuted as a segment therein. What about Python? They don't usually consider that. I think maybe because it's these very tiny interludes. Right, but I'm just like, when was Python? Python was early 70s, right? The sound of research taking place in real time. Uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus is from 16... from. October 1969? Wow, it's, it's 60s. Wow. To December 1974. Okay. Because the cartoon is what got me into Monty Python. Huh. Because I remember it used to come on PBS, and I was like, what is this? And then I, I wouldn't really care for it, but sometimes there was a cartoon in Monty Python, and, the, and not the Holy Grail, Monty Python's Fl- Flying Circus, and... I was very, very young, but I just remember, watch out for the killer cars. Which is just, it would be like a group of people walking, going, all right, everybody go, let's uh, we come this way. Watch out for the killer cars. And there'd be one straggler, and then all of a sudden a car would jump out and eat them. Vroom. All right, everybody, stay close, stay together. Don't lag behind. Come on, keep together, everybody. Remember, watch out for the killer cars. <laughs> And that sticks in my mind. I was like, I don't know what this is, but it's very funny. Yeah, I think they don't really consider those full sketches. Okay. I mean, it's kind of like if we discuss the history of puppetry. There were some adult-themed Jim Henson sketches on SNL, actually. Right, right. Uh, But a lot of people don't really remember those as well. Because they don't really think of them as being fully adult puppets. Yeah. Yeah. So, anywho. Because uh, one thing I want to point out, because I don't think you saw this. Uh, basically, the, the leader of the Coneheads are 
giving uh, Veldark the marching orders to go to Earth. And confront the UN Secretary General. And and basically going to enslave Earth and turn all of humankind into slaves to mine something. Yeah. And then the leader gets up from his throne and there's clearly a naked woman on the back of his chair. Using these human... Did you see that? Yes. Because I was like, whoa, what was that? Like, it was it was kind of like Tyler Durden had slipped in a single frame of some nudity, and my brain exploded for a second. It reminded me of The Rescuers. Yes, yes. Uh, the Yeah, the original Rescuers. The original been... print, and it didn't get discovered until home release, because... Yes, has two theaters... frames of nudity. Uh, and at least one of which is extremely obvious. Uh, it's It's the same picture, it's just like, it moves. Yeah, it's very... One of them is... Really clear. Yeah. So they are meant to hail the UN Secretary General, and the next time we see them, they are he, they are also given a catalog that contains information about human slash earthlings. Yes. And when next time we see them, Primat and Beldar are on the ship, and they seem to hate one another. Yes. They they do this thing where he gets lost because. Men get lost when driving. It, this was made in 1983. This is a hot take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and won't, like, ask for directions. And they kind of have this argument about his driving and her navigating. Yes. Beldar, do you want me to guide the craft? Mebs, mebs. Slow down, Beldar, or we will miss the planet entirely. Just provide me with the coordinate indices and leave the craft guidance to me. As I previously indicated, these are the coordinate indices. That is not what you showed me. Maps. Maps. Well, now. The whole time, this gets laughs. Yeah, and it's the tritest sitcom. But, like, it's not even jokes. It's not like. It's not even like silly, goofy, like. Uh, it's right here on the map. That's not a map, that's a napkin. It's not even that. It's, if you take out the alien language from this, the scene is simply, uh, you don't know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Sure I do. Do you want to drive? I'm navigating. That's the whole scene. Yeah. Except... Instead of saying, like, driving, it's operating the space vehicle. And that's supposed to derive the comedy. I just mean, like, also that stop and ask for directions. Like, Mm -hmm. that stuff is the tritest sitcom couple. Yes. Like, the Honeymooners did it and everyone since then has been trying to do it. Yes, yes. So, uh, he won't let her drive and he's going too fast. Yes. And they crash land, and then we get the opening titles. Yes. We'll talk about the aftermath of the crash after the opening titles, because it's like, they crash opening titles. Mm -hmm. It really is Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, and Lorraine Newman, also of SNL. Yeah, so like, they have the original cast, because I was just like, did someone buy the rights and then make an abomination? But no, that is not what's happening here. Lauren Michaels is a credited producer. Yeah, like, this is... This, to take us off topic, because that's what happens when we cover a, a, a pilot, pilot, when we have to fill time. 
I can't think of a single other SNL sketch TV show. Like, I can't think of another time this has been attempted. Because they they do not attempt a film until Wayne's World. If No, I'm sorry. They do not attempt a film until Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers is the first SNL film. I believe you're right. And then I believe it is uh, Wayne's World. And then is when it's they stop being the, the juggernauts. Yes. Uh, the two most successful are Blues Brothers and Wayne's World. Yes. By a long shot. By a long shot. Because uh, it should be mentioned. There that are only 11 SNL movies. I would have thought there were so many more. Okay, let's let's do a quick game show and see if I can get these. Okay. All right, so it is Blues Brothers. Yes. Wayne's World. Yes. Wayne's World 2. Yes. It's Pat. Yes. Uh, uh, I forget what Stuart Smalley called his movie. It's something in my family with Stuart Smalley. The, the, the reflections guy. I'm, Stuart saves his family. Stuart saves his family. I'm good enough, smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. Superstar, which is the Mary Catherine Gallagher movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Night of the Roxbury, which is the what is love, love, guys. Uh, there's, uh, oh, oh. This is the, oh, it's the Tim Meadows, uh, the... Man, the guy at my Taco Bell used to take my order as this guy. <laughs> but I can't remember his name. Uh, the Tim Meadows, this is the love This guy. is Leon Phelps, the ladies' man. The ladies' man. That's what it is. The ladies' man. McGruber, which is like the last one, I think. Yes. Uh, I already said it's Pat. Um, You're forgetting one that you should get real quick. Oh, Coneheads. Yep. And then uh, there's one remaining. Uh, and, oh, oh, I was doing so well. Uh, Blues Brothers 2000? Done. Boosh! How many of these have you seen? Uh, I've seen Coneheads. I've seen both Wayne's World, which are mwah, chef kiss movies. Uh, I have seen parts of Night at the Roxbury, and mm-hmm. I've seen parts of Blues Brothers, which I know is a sin. That I, it's my father's favorite film, and I've never sat down and watched it. I never knew that it was your father's favorite yeah. film. We're on a message. We're on a. We're on a. We're on a message from God. We're on a, we're on a message. From, we're on a mission from God. It's dark out, and we're wearing sunglasses. Let's go. Um, I think those might be the only ones I've actually seen. Uh, my middle school best friend and I repeatedly rented It's Pat for some reason. Like, I, I genuinely unsure why as an adult. We would rent Jane Austen's Mafia, It's mm. Pat, and Clue. And one of those films is held up. Yes. I know I used to go to my my local rental, uh, my video rental place, and my parents would always tell me I wasn't allowed to rent It's Pat. I was like, well, how about this one? They're like, no. <laughs> we're, not, we're not spending an hour with Pat. Uh, so in any case, what, the reason I want to bring this up is the Coneheads are originally created in 1977. This pilot is in 1983. Yes. The film will not come out until 1993. Correct. That's insanity. All right. 
That being said, let's continue on now. Uh, I want to actually point out who directed this. Who directed this? Uh, Rankin, Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass. Does the term Rankin Bass mean anything to you? Isn't that the, like, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Yep. Really? Man, that's weird. Because th- this animation's terrible. Yeah, I mean, they are best known for their holiday specials. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also turned out the um, Lord of the Rings, or the Hobbit, rather. Okay. So the uh, Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. So they're kind of well-known for those as well. And then they kind of, most for the most part, went out in 1987. Okay. Okay. Also known for The Last Unicorn. Oh. So the opening like sequence is the song that we will hear a hundred times throughout this show. And footage that we will that we've already seen or will see later in this show. Yes. Animation while this is probably cheaply done animation, animation's still not super cheap. Yeah. So we re-meet them and they crash land and their pod fills with water and Beldar panics because he loses his speech. Yes, he had a speech prepared that he was gonna say to introduce himself, his job as timekeeper. And inform the the human race that they are enslaved. Well, and this actually comes back to the scene where they're arguing on the ship because she tells him he needs to memorize it. Yeah, because he just wants to read it. He probably should have memorized it. Yeah. Yeah. None of these are jokes. So uh, they crawl onto a junkyard that's like... On the coast. Because they crash land into water. Yeah. And they kind of crawl up into a junkyard. Yeah, that has like trailers. And they get chased down by the junkyard dogs, who they try to address as humans. Yes. And we see an older man watching baseball who hears the dogs freak out. Mm -hmm. And the man is Louis Bouchard, a TV repairman. And he finds them in the TV repair trailer, which is separate from the one he's living in. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how he's having trouble with these new Japanese television models. Which is a very early 80s joke of, like, the confusion about Japanese technology. Yes. So, the two things I want to stress here is, uh, Beldar says, your weapons have no effect on me, on us, or are useless against us. And this man is holding a shotgun, and he just kind of throws the gun off screen. And I was like, all right, that's already just weird. And then, uh... He talks about how he can't understand these Japanese components. And Beldar says, Japanese. And his wife goes, Japanese. Inhabitants of the island nation of Japan, known for their social cohesiveness, interdiscipline, and consumption of raw fish. And it gets a laugh. It also says they're interdiscipline. uh, And I think, like, they're homogenous society. Yes. Like, it's a very weird... Way to put it. I don't know why this gets a laugh. All they did was accurately describe Japan. I mean, do you remember the episode of Doug where he goes out and gets raw, gets sushi with his crazy aunt? Yes. It might be his grandma. It's yeah. his grandma. I can't believe I ate raw fish and liked it. 
It's my Doug impression. That was definitely like a thing in the 80s and early 90s. Like sushi was on the edge of being trendy. Right. So I think you're seeing that like sushi on the edge of being trendy. But before it was trendy, it's something people make fun of. So, so you think the joke in this is the idea of eating raw fish? Yes. Like that's what causes the laugh? Yeah. Weird. Okay. I mean, it's quite possible. Just like knowing where it was at the time. So Beldar makes short work of fixing the TV and they watch a beer ad together on the baseball game. Which I immediately think is weird to see a beer ad. (laughs) Yeah, because we're not used to seeing beer mentioned on what we think of as cartoons. Yeah, it just, it felt very odd. So, we see that, and then uh, Louis offers Beldar a job. Yes. And Beldar says where they're from, and he goes, I don't care where you're from, this is America. My grandfather came from France, and that's all anyone needs to know. Yes. And that gets a laugh. Yes. And which is confusing. Yes, it's very confusing. It doesn't make any sense. And then Beldar replies with, we too. We come from France, which gets applause. We too come from France. Okay. He said the thing. He said it. Oh, my gosh. They, we come from France. Whoo. They do the bit of, Louis says they'll have to pay him, pay them under the table. Mm-hmm. And then both coneheads drop under the table? Yes. I have it written down that that is the first joke. That's the first thing that has a setup and a punchline. Under the table, oh, they think they need to go under the table because they're different. That's the only, like, we haven't seen a real joke until now. And we cut ahead and business is booming for uh, Louie. They are turning around TVs in half an hour, an hour, Mm -hmm. and business is good. Yes. And uh, Primat makes dinner and... Ah, the evening meal. What has been prepared? Hunks of previously feathered flesh prepared in molten fat tissues of the same animal. What? Fried chicken. Ah. They yell the thing, consume mass quantities. Yes. And they ask Louis if he wants some. And he goes, maybe a beer? Yeah. And then I have the note of looking up the state of adult animation. And after Louis leaves, uh, Primat and Beldar are in bed. And she says, do you remember when we were honing our cones? Mm-hmm. Which is their version of sexual relations. She is, quote, with cone. And she says, I'm scared. And he says, an appropriate emotion, but your cone is sturdy. You will make a good mother. Yes. And then she tell, and then they do their, like, mating dance. Yes. They're, they're very happy that they are with cone. <laughs> Never mind that they're on a strange, scary planet. Yeah. They're fine that they're going to give birth here on this planet. And then there is a long sequence where we watch her give birth. Yeah. Which is... Awful. Awful? It's not funny. It's not... Like... It looks like there's contractions going through her cone. Yeah, it's actually legitimately really disturbing. But, like, there's no reason for this scene. 
Yeah. Like, it almost looks like it was added to extend the length of the cartoon. Which is not where I want to add. There's not a whole lot of dialogue in this part. She yells at him and says, we'll never do this again. Uh, They have a girl. Yes. And he's momentarily, like, sounds a little disappointed. Oh, I didn't catch that. And then they decide to name the child Connie. Yes. Connie Conehead. Yes, it's not great. It's not a great name. So we realize then, uh, the next time we see anybody, uh, six Earth years have passed. Six years have gone by. This is also when I start looking at this like, wait a minute, this is all familiar. A lot of these events happen in the movie. Yeah. Like... He ends up at the junkyard and in a trailer and finding out that his wife's pregnant and giving birth. Like, all those things happen in the film. And I'm like, wait a minute, is this just the film? Spoiler. Yeah. (laughs) We also see they now own the TV repair shop. We don't know what happened to Louie. Yeah, Louie's just never seen again. Uh, But he's, yeah, he's gone. And we don't know why. So, we have that, and they have finally what they need to contact Remulac. They plug it in, it overloads, they unplug it. Uh, They're trying to recontact Remulac because they need to get home or need to find someone who can help them. Mm -hmm. Connie shows up from school, and they're having hot dogs for dinner. And again, mass quantities. Mm -hmm. Consume mass quantities. And Connie's like, like, parents, I am different from the other children. Where are we from? And they tell her she's from France, and she goes, that answer is inadequate. Yes. We also see uh, Beldar dress his hot dog with red paint that he was using to paint a sign earlier. I guess the idea is he's seen ketchup, but he doesn't know ketchup. Well, they always eat and drink weird things. Like, we later see him sip gasoline from the pump. Right, but, like, why would you slather red paint on a hot dog? My guess is, like, when seeing a hot dog, he saw that red substance on it that is ketchup and was like, oh, you put a red thing on this. Paint. So now they're going to attempt to reach their home planet. Yes, and this time it's successful. Yes. And the High Master is now the Master of Eight Galaxies. Yes, instead of Seven. And... They admit to the High Master they have fallen behind schedule. They squabble in front of him, and they admit they have not yet seized the planet, but he says he will send an envoy to help them, but they must relocate within 20 miles of the United Nations. So within 20 miles of New York City. Oh, okay. I was thinking D.C., because I didn't understand why they did this next part. So they move... To New Jersey! Which would be 20 miles from New York City. That makes sense. It would be... uh, Based on this, right around Chatham, Menlo Park Terrace. Like, gotcha. And what does the sign say? Uh, well, before they get there, we get them arguing about directions again. Oh, yes. That, I guess this is a callback. Yes. And then they pass a sign that says, New Jersey, welcome safe drivers. Lol. Yeah, I get, you know what that means, though? It doesn't live here. New Jersey doesn't welcome anybody because nobody outside of Jersey knows how to drive. <laughs> so uh, nobody welcome. 
So they move in, and their new neighbors, the Paisners, Cheryl and Barry, are discussing them. And Cheryl seems welcoming enough and says, like, we'll bring them a coffee ring tomorrow. And Barry's like, they're weird. I don't like them. Yeah. But, like, compares them to other weird neighbors. So they're not weird because they might be aliens. They're weird because Barry probably thinks everybody's weird. Yeah. So they bring over the coffee ring, and the coneheads are scandalized and go, like, not in front of the young one. Yes, because it is a ring-shaped thing, which is used for sex. My next note is in quotes, oh, it looks like their sex ring. Mm-hmm. And after the Paisners leave and Connie goes to school, uh, they enjoy the sex ring. Yes. And talk about how they're going to bring thousands of them back. To thousands them. of edible rings. Yes. So, like, it's basically like they were handed edible underwear. Yes. Uh, it should be noted that Connie is now a teenager? Well, the next scene we see them, they've clearly been living there a while. Oh, yeah, true. And we get essentially another time jump. Ostensibly about 10 years. Yeah. She's got to be at least 16. Yes. And she has a date to a rock concert. And uh, Beldar goes, what is a date? Mm -hmm. And Primate says the definition of the fruit. Yes. And then uh, Connie gives them a more direct, like a prearranged meeting between two potentially amorous humans. Yes. And she asks them one more time why she is different, and they tell her the truth. Yes. And tell her that at any time they could be going back to Remulac. Mm hmm. And Connie hates this idea. She's happy with her life as president of the science club, captain of the dive team. Uh, she has a date, and she goes, like, What a drag! For once in my life, things are going my way. Yeah. And I, I laughed at what a drag. At what a drag. I also want to note at this point. Uh, Connie has stars on her cone? Yes, she's put like what looks like a fishnet stocking on her cone. Re- I didn't get a fishnet. I didn't read it as that. I took it as a temporary tattoo. Oh, I saw like it had like a border, so I thought it was more of almost like oh, a stocking. Oh, maybe. Maybe she's got something like that. But uh, he jumps up and goes, unacceptable, unacceptable. This is a scene from the film. Is it? There's an entire scene from the film where she puts a temporary butterfly tattoo on her cone. And he jumps up and is like, you have defaced your cone. So again, this is just the movie. Yes. So Ronnie shows up and he's Connie's date and he's nice enough. Yeah. He seems respectful. Uh, Their communicator rings as soon as Connie leaves. And uh, now the... High Master is the roller of six galaxies. Yes, two galaxies have succeeded from the Union. Yeah. The Union of Conehead Galaxies. And Barry Paisner can see their house glowing green and complains to Cheryl. And there's a weird scene where Cheryl calls him to bed. And then asks him if he brushed his teeth, and he goes, no, I forgot. What is that? That's not a joke. I guess the idea that he's such a henpecked, like, individual, that his very real concerns about the aliens next door aren't going to be taken seriously. I guess. He's just, it's so dumb. Yes. So, they find out there will be no Star Cruiser to rescue them because of budget cuts, essentially. Yeah. And there's no time frame for their rescue. Yeah, so they're now stranded on Earth. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Connie is with this guy. What was the guy's name again? Ronnie. Ronnie. Connie and Ronnie. Connie and Ronnie. 
And they're basically at like a makeout point yes. type place. This shot looks so weird. Yes. It appears as if it is done with green screen, mm-hmm. which makes no sense because this is in fact a cartoon. It's a cheaply done background. But like the yeah, the background doesn't move right for what they're doing. And they French kiss because she is from France. Well, she she tells him, like, I might have to go back to France. Yeah. And he kind of comforts her and goes like, don't worry about that. Who says you have to go back with them? Mm -hmm. Now give me one of those French kisses. So kind of planting the seed of like, maybe you're not going to move away with your parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, Connie returns and she has missed the midnight curfew they had set. And... The parents sit her down and they're upset about being stranded. And Connie's like, okay. Yeah, good. I get to continue living my life. And then Ronnie rings the doorbell and hands Connie the sensory ring. Yes. That she had stolen from from her parents. She was planning to have conehead sex with him. Yep. I don't know how he would enjoy it, but whatever. And the credits play over the sequence of, like, pulling yeah. back from the house. I, oh, yeah. I want you guys to really understand this. This just ends. It just ends out of nowhere. <laughs> like, I feel like I make this joke very often where I just go, and then it just ends. This one just ends. <laughs> yes. You removed a sensor ring from your parental unit's sleep chamber? Unacceptable. Unacceptable. And with a human of all creatures. Mibs. Mibs. See you at school tomorrow, Connie. Mibs. 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 Like, we get to a point where they're about to have a conflict. And it's like, credits. Yes. Written by Al Franken. Yeah, because Al Franken wrote this. Yeah. So... And that's Coneheads. <laughs> Yes, that is Cuphead's. So I want to rant about the movie more. Okay. Because this whole date with Ronnie, that's just the plot of the movie. Yeah, Ronnie is Chris Farley in the film. Yeah, like, it's very obvious that they just were like, this failed cartoon, we should make into a $30 million film. Yes. That made $20. Or $20? $20 million off its budget. Yeah, Coneheads is one of those films. There, there are a few films that kind of have this weird memory in my generation's memories. Because it was just always on HBO. Yeah, I didn't have HBO growing up. So anyone that grew up with HBO was just constantly seeing... Coneheads, Toys, uh, Hot Shots, Part Due. Like, those were just the films that were on on a loop. So you'd just come home and be like, oh, I guess I'll watch Coneheads again. Yeah. Hooray. It's kind of like how I feel about, like, Clue. Yes. Because Clue was always on Comedy Central because I didn't have HBO money growing up. But, like, I remember, like, the main bits of Coneheads, the, the film, were they, they didn't understand condoms and thought they were chewing gum. 
So they were constantly, like, chewing on condoms and blowing bubbles with them and stuff. Right. And it was a lot of them trying to fit in with humans. Yes. So, like, you saw him trying to, like, play golf. And you saw her, like, trying to make a pot roast. And there's another, like, visual bit that happens in the cartoon where she's using a vacuum cleaner and she's like, this suction device is not sufficient. So she sticks the vacuum in her mouth. They do in the animated show as well. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. They do it in the animated show. And then they do it again in the movie. Like, it's just the exact same bit. And the neighbor character is from SNL. That's John Belushi. Yes. And uh, I forget who plays the wife. Gilda Radner. Gilda Radner, yes. So, like, they're trying to keep this, like, weird canon mm-hmm. of, of the Coneheads. But this is the first time. I can't think of another pilot that's done this. And we've watched a lot of these. Yeah. That covers 20 years of time in one episode? Right? Oh my god. By the end of this episode, I have no idea what an episode of Coneheads would look like. I mean, I guess it would be the day-to-day. Would it? Or would we cover another 20 years? Because they didn't want to make this a series. They were hoping to actually bring it to series for fall 1984. Right. I I absolutely believe that. It's just that when you make a pilot, you should be establishing these are the rules of this world. It's, it's, you know, the the Coneheads are here and stuff like that. But because it starts with them on another planet and ends 20 or 16 at least years later. Yeah. Where they're raising a teenager... You don't know what this show is going to be day to day. Right. Like, based on what we saw, it is entirely believable that episode two would start from this and end with them as grandparents and another 16 years have gone by. Fair. There's no indication if this is going to be like a sitcom-y thing or any... We have no idea what this show is by the end of this pilot. We do not. Other than it's a cartoon. (laughs) Uh, It's just... It's absolutely baffling the choices they made here. Because you could have easily opened this with... The Coneheads lived on planet Ramulok 16 years ago. They crashed on Earth and failed to uh, enslave the human race and are now trying to raise their 16-year-old daughter in the ways of the humans. Yeah. And then the episode starts. Like, the stuff that they feel important to establish shouldn't take an entire episode. Yeah. Like, uh, if I was to write this, I think by minute four, I could establish the Coneheads are trapped on Earth. They pretend they're from France. They have a daughter. Their neighbor is nosy. Yeah, I I don't have that issue with this. I think this is fine, honestly. Really? Uh, I think, let me rephrase that. I think having this be essentially what is an origin story is fine. Okay. Uh, I think the problem is that there are no jokes. 
Like, right. This is bad. Don't get me wrong. I think they're so tied up in telling the origin of the Coneheads that they don't have time for jokes. And if you're like, if you think all this stuff's important, we will do it in three minutes, and then we will do what the show's going to look like in the future. Because let's say this went to series. Yeah. Episode two and episode two through 16 are going to look remarkably different than the pilot. So how is the pilot going to sell this show? Because we haven't seen the show yet. Right. You're just too tied up with lore. Yeah, I, I don't have... That issue with it. I do have an issue with the show. Okay, what what, do you, what did you think? I think it would have been fine for them to spend what they were airing as essentially a preview special. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been fine. Because I think about a lot of the cartoons that have had pilot films. And, you know, the first, like, ten minutes of Gargoyles, first ten minutes of the pilot, they're in Scotland. Okay. So, so, I don't think there's a problem with the pilot setting up the premise pretty thoroughly and then having it be more of a slice of life. We've established help is not coming. They have to learn how to live like this. So now it's just going to be them being weird and wacky. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, uh, I don't know that there's enough here for 23-minute episodes once a week. I don't know if there's enough for the two 11-minute episode format once a week. And I'm not sure who this would be for. I definitely don't know who this is for. So, uh, there were only 11 Conehead sketches. Really? Yeah, like I know we kind of think of a lot of these as having, a lot of the recurring Mm -hmm. SNL characters have a surprisingly low number of sketches. Yeah, I mean, like you gotta think that a season of SNL is actually not that long. Like, it's not like it runs 52 episodes. Yeah. It runs like 20-some, I want to say, somewhere in the 20s. Yes. And, like, you don't want to do the same sketch too many times. Like, you don't want to do the same sketch in one episode and the next episode. You want to space them out. So, like, if you had a Spitfire, like, exciting character that people loved, you might see them once a month. Yeah. I was trying to look up a good, uh, a good example of one of these, especially these early ones. Uh, Nick the Lounge Singer, the noted Bill Murray role. Yes. I like that sketch. Also only 11. Only 11, really. And something you probably would have thought was something we saw every single week. But no. No, the only thing we see every week is update. Yeah. Which they are reluctant to consider a recurring character because it does tend to go through different hosts and it changes a lot. Uh, Just trying to look for a more recent one. I feel like there's very few reoccurring sketches. Except for maybe that Pete Davidson character. I actually... Literally was pulling up Chad. Chad, yeah. Um, and I bet Chad has had about nine. I put him at about nine sketches, if I'm uh, guessing. If you don't know, Chad is a character Pete Davidson does who responds monosyllabically and is disconnected from the world. <laughs> he doesn't... It does not mention how many times uh, Chad appears on Wikipedia, and I don't have the time to look that up. Okay. So... 
it's not a lot. Like, they definitely don't run these people the same way. Right. But my biggest issue, I would say, with this is what, to me, brings the comedy in Coneheads is the fact that they are acting unbelievably strange. And the people around them don't really address it. Their only response is usually like, oh, they're foreign. Yeah. Like, so they just let them get away with this. The comedy comes from the fact that we as the audience is like, they're aliens, do something. Yeah. Look at look at they're drinking an entire like six pack of beer in one gulp. That's weird. And Acknowledge they're this. And no one does. If you this show takes away the reaction to the coneheads. Yeah. Like it is very rare in this episode for the coneheads to be sharing the screen with someone who is not a conehead. You then take it another step back in that it's a cartoon and you're selling the comedy off of a reaction. You're not going to be able to capture a realistic reaction in an animated series. So it's funny you should mention that because I, I've realized how many resources I had access to. So I wanted to start taking a little bit better advantage of some of these resources. So I was able to access a uh, Washington Post review of the only airing of this. Okay. Uh, because this did air. Uh, this aired on a Friday night in... Uh, August 19, or excuse me, October 1983, about 29 years ago, last week. So it aired as a primetime special. They kind of pushed it as like, it's a primetime special. It aired in the 8.30 time slot. So ooh, a little... Ooh, 8.30. Ooh. So they would get some of the younger kids would be already in bed. I guess, yeah. And uh, Tony Kornheiser, the critic for the Washington Post, says, uh, the conceit of real people in those costumes in that alien situation and speaking that language was totally bizarre and at times hysterically effective. The problem here is what made Conehead so attractive on live TV is that they were so preposterous. In animation, nothing is preposterous because nothing is real. Uh, The Coneheads is a show that neither kids nor adults will like. On the other hand, it could go over big in France. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, there's a great moment in this where uh, they they say this uh, they derive the laugh track as quote slightly more intrusive than a rabid Doberman in your bathtub <laughs> the Coneheads is not one fifth as funny as Rocky and Bullwinkle or half as funny as the Flintstones so that's clearly what they were thinking this was going to be aligned with right like those kinds of Animated shows that could air in prime time, but were not technically for adults or children. Yeah. But this leans a lot on sex and alcohol for something that's supposed to be all ages. Yeah. Uh, although, thinking back, the Flintstones peddled cigarettes. Yes, yes, they did. Uh, we just don't see that because those were edited out of the versions we saw as children. And uh, I did pull from the New York Times of the same, around the same day, like the day it was going to air, not the day after. Jules Bass loved the idea of doing the Coneheads in animation because, uh, quote, if you remember the original Conehead episodes, they were all pretty much set in their New Jersey living room. With animation, we can take them across the cosmos. So we might have gotten some travel. 
We might have gotten the Coneheads going to France or the Coneheads going to some somewhere else in space. I get that, but honestly, like, I was trying to think of things that they did in this show that they couldn't have done on SNL. And other than the flying spaceship and the water landing and her using the vacuum cleaner with her mouth, they don't really use the medium any, like, special way. I guess the idea was this was supposed to be a proof of concept. They are planning to use it another way. Right, and I just, if it's supposed to be, they're not proving any concepts here. Right. (laughs) Show your work, Cohen heads. Yeah, so it, they're trying to prove a concept. It's, they proved that it didn't really work super well. Uh, do you have any other notes? No, that's all I had to say. I just, I'm greatly disappointed in this. That it's just, it felt so rushed. Yeah. It felt like they were just coasting on the idea of, people love the Coneheads. This will be a hit. Just say, nah, a bunch of times. Meh. I just want to say. No, it was a good job. Anything, any other research? Uh, no, I thought being able to find two newspaper articles from the day it aired was a good amount of research for this. I agree. Uh, so, there was very little else on this. So verdict time? Oh, doomed. Doomed, 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 doomed. Yeah, clearly a stay doomed. Somebody calls in. This, this is doomed, 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 doomed. Doomed, 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 doomed. Gonna sing the doom song. Doomed, 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 doomed. So that's going to do it for this episode of Stay Doomed. Next week is a very special episode. It is the season four finale, which means it is time for a post-mortem. We will be reflecting back on our past episodes of Stay Doomed, explaining our feelings towards various shows as time has gone by, what has happened with this show, our plans for this show in the future. We'll be reading a lot of comments based on what's on other episodes so if you want to go back and make a comment on something we'll probably end up reading it on the air yeah uh, also you can contact us through our patreon which is patreon.com slash plus two comedy if you have any questions or comments you'd like us to talk about here on the show the post-mortem is a great way for us to talk back to our fantastic fans and our all you stay doomed grave diggers grave robbers grave robbers excuse me grave robbers Yes, we, that's right. We steal. We don't put them in the ground. We take them out of the ground. Yeah. Uh, so this would be a great time to remind people where they can find us. You can email us at the Stay Doomed Show at gmail.com, Facebook and Twitter, or our Discord if you're one of our patrons. And if you want to talk to me about being from France, I'm at Plus2Comedy on Twitter. If you're excited that I have uh, found more research to take advantage of for future episodes, I'm at Bean Bunny Lives. Until next time. Stay doomed.